Don't know if you'll make it here on Sunday. You know, I've been watching that the weather and, and they don't know what's going on. And, you know, if we were down in Arkansas, I'd say, yeah, it doesn't look very good. But, you know, they're saying, oh, it may miss us or we may get six or seven inches of snow. So, OK, so my counsel to you is is look at Facebook. We'll try and post that up. You know, if we have to cancel service, we'll post it up there and and uh, um Probably, you know, we probably will not have the go team. If it starts snowing, I think it's gonna, it's gonna be cold. So I'm thinking we'll probably just call the go team on Friday as well because, um, it's just no use going downtown if there's nobody downtown to witness to, you know, the light pole, I guess, maybe, but, uh, get some practice. But anyway, just be praying. I hate making that decision. You know, I don't never want to cancel services and, and, you know, Especially on the weekend, I don't have the school to look at because if school's canceled, okay. Schools are canceling, we'll cancel. But, uh, now if you guys from South Dakota, you know, it's nothing. You just, you'd be wearing shorts and short sleeves and yeah, I'll come to church. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. We are continuing our study through the book of Jeremiah. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and Stephen will bring you into your seat. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 8 tonight. You know, Book of Jeremiah, I've shared this already that, you know, I, I only have Jeremiah, Lamentations, and uh, Song of Solomon to teach. Um, and, and I look at the Book of Jeremiah, and you guys have probably studied this before, and, and you read about it, and it's, it's, you know, because of idol worship, judgment is coming. If they would have repent, judgment wouldn't be coming. Next chapter. Because of idol worship, judgment's coming. <laughs> if they repent, judgment, next chapter. you got 52 chapters of that. <laughs> But the, the great thing is, when you go through the book of Jeremiah, there are these hidden verses that just, you know, I've shared this already, pulls the sky back, the clouds away, and you go, well, man, what a great verse, and it just touches your heart. And so um, we'll hit some of those, and it's an exciting uh, book to cover, and, and uh, we'll be blessed, you'll be blessed that you're here and, and making our way through the book of Jeremiah. So let's start with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for tonight. Thank you that your word is alive, and it's quick, and it's powerful. Lord, and you've designed it to uh, allow your Holy Spirit to work through your word to change our lives and to draw us closer to you and to, to show us areas in our lives that we need to work on or we need encouragement in or, or exhortation, whatever it is, Lord. Uh, you work powerfully through your word and we thank you for, for this time together that we can dig into it and uh, read, Lord, of, of how you've worked, how you moved your heart, Lord, towards your people the consequences of sin, all these things, Lord, that we, we are looking at and studying. We pray, Lord, your blessing upon our time together. Lord, I want to lift up the kids as they're downstairs practicing for their Christmas uh, play, Lord, that you just bless that and, uh, and uh, what's going on downstairs, Lord, your hand would be on that. And just bless our night. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, we've been looking at how the, the people, the Jewish people there in Judah and in Jerusalem, they've been uh, kind of uh, putting their hopes in the fact that they had a temple. Hey, we live in Jerusalem. We have, we have a temple. And, and surely God's not going to judge us because, man, we got the temple, we got the ark, and we're safe. But as we've seen, the Lord says, that's not going to cut it. Okay, you need to change your heart. You need to turn from your sin. You know, any more than to say, well, surely I'm safe. I'll go to heaven. I go to church. I go to that church. You know what? That doesn't cut it. It's where, where your heart is at. In fact, the Lord said in verses 5 through 7 of chapter 7, he said this. 
For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave you to your fathers forever and ever. He's just always saying, listen, if you just turn from your sin, if you just stop the direction you're going, turn from these idols and turn around and come to me, I will bless you. But they wouldn't. And if you remember, the last few verses of chapter 7 describe the destruction that would come, the, the bodies of those that would be lying in the streets and for the birds of the air to come and devour. Well, we're going to continue on with that a little more. That's where we pick it up as a background. Look at verse 1. At that time, says the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah and the bones of its princes and the bones of the priests and the bones of the prophets and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. They shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all the hosts of heaven, which they have loved and which they have served and after they, which they have walked, which they have sought and which they have worshipped. They shall not be gathered nor buried. They shall be like refuge on the face of the earth. So because they're worshipping the sun god and the moon god and all sorts of false gods, the Lord says, okay, you love to do it. I mean, we read that. that's what they love to do. That was their heart. That's what they wanted to do. The Lord says, okay, then, then when you die, you know, when you get judged, your bones are going to be spread out all over the place before all your gods that you like to worship. Now, that was a huge abomination for the Jew. They worked hard to keep their graves from being desecrated. They, they wanted to keep their bones intact and together and not scattered. God says, it ain't going to happen. Look at verse 3. He says, then death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of those who remain of this evil family who remain in all the places where I've driven them, says the Lord of hosts. So as the Babylonians would come down, they would rather choose death rather than life, probably suicide. Pastor Chuck, in his commentary, pointed out how this is interesting, this verse, because after the Roman invasion in Jerusalem, 70 A.D., the last of the Jews to hold out against the Roman government uh, went to a place called Masada, as they chose death rather than life and committed mass suicide rather than to be taken in uh, by, the, by the Romans. And so he says that this is a prophecy fulfilled on that day as those Jews chose death rather than life. Verse 4, he says, Moreover, you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, Will they fall and not rise? Will one turn away and not return? See, God knows there are times in our walk that we do fall, that we trip up, that we stumble. Maybe temptation draws us away or, or we get distracted. But when we fall, God expects it that, that we get up. When we turn away from the Father, the Father calls us and we run back to Him. God is like most fathers. He teaches His kids. You know, it's not how many times you fall that matters. As long as you get back up one more time, then you get knocked down. Yet the Jews here, they weren't uh, your typical kid. Rather than rise, rather than return, they stayed in their backslidden state. Look at verse 5. Why has this people slidden back, Jerusalem, in a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I listened and heard, but they do not speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? Everyone turned to his own course as a horse rushes into the battles. See, the Jews, they're in that backslidden state and they're defending themselves. They're choosing to stay there rather than turn back to the Lord. You know, if a person is sinning and refusing to return to the Lord, they're acting illogically and they're really just deceiving themselves. 
Self-deception, a major reason believers fail to recognize and admit that they're backslidden. I mean, if you can make excuses for yourself, for what you once understood as being wrong and sinful, then, then you're self-deceived. Well, it says it's time to, to turn around. Look at verse 7. Even the stork in heaven knows her appointed times, and the turtle dove, the swift and the swallow, observe the time of their coming. But my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. Now these birds, the stork and the turtle dove and the swallow swift, they're all migratory birds. You know, at the first, you know, cold breeze of winter, they fly to warmer climates. Something I would like to do right about now. Give me a plane to Hawaii. But these birds, they always return. And that's what Jeremiah is saying. I can't figure out with you Jews. Why after tasting the consequences of sin, why aren't you rushing back to the Lord? One commentator called them bird brains, but I think the birds had more common sense than they did. Here the Lord is saying, it's clear as clear can be, winter's coming, judgment is coming, it's time to migrate, it's time to come back to the Lord, but the people of, the, of God refuse to acknowledge what is built in them, the knowledge of right and wrong, the knowledge of good and evil. And instead, it's back to, oh, God will never judge us. So in fact, we have our scribes telling us that everything is okay. In fact, look at verse 8. Jeremiah asked him, how can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Look, the false pen of the scribe certainly works falsehood. The white men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? I mean, the impact of these verses is to say that those who ought to be teaching God's word, line upon line, precept upon precept, were purposely misinterpreting it. To allow for their own sin and for the sin of the people, the false pen of the scribe certainly works falsehood. Listen, once you've turned your back on the Lord, you've set yourself up to be taken in by all manner of deception and falsehood. Once you've fallen from God, you're going to fall for anything. Oh, these scribes are writing this down. It must be right. I mean, that's what they thought. Therefore, he says, look at verse 10. Therefore, I will give their wives to others and their fields to those who will inherit them. Because from the least even to the greatest, everyone is given to covetousness. From the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall, and the time of their punishment they shall be cast down, says the Lord. What a sad scenario. Verse 10 says, says, even God's representatives, the priests, maybe the the pastors of today, they were corrupt. All because of money and covetousness, they prophesied falsely. Could you imagine anyone doing such a thing? (laughs) Yeah, just watch Christian TV. (laughs) You'll you'll see that. Just look into the history of the Catholic Church and the indulgences and the practice of indulgences. It still goes on today. Because of money and, and covetousness, people, they prophesy falsely. Oh, you know... Here's this, if you do this. And here's the thing. Verse 12 asks the question, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they weren't ashamed at all. Nor did they know how to blush, it says. Is this not America today? I mean, look at the previous generations, you know, biblically informed generations. You know, we would have viewed homosexual marriages as a perversion, as, as an abomination. Today, rather than cause shame, it's accepted. Sexual immorality no longer exists. It's, it's anything goes. We no longer know how to blush. 
If every human impulse is validated as normal, it represses our natural senses of modesty, our collective conscience is seared. That's why immorality is not only a sin against the individual, but the society, and it compounds the moral decay. This is why God judges the nation as a whole. Now, one day God will silence all humanity that, you know, today is a day of man. You know, mankind is having his way, his say, but the Bible warns us the day of the Lord. When God comes back, he'll have his say and his will will be done. But it's sad because we see that these, these people were deceived by the priests and, and by the prophets. And, and I think it's a warning to us. Not everyone who speaks in the name of God speaks the truth of God. That's why we need to, to check out what we hear with what is written. How does a man's teaching square with the scriptures? We have to be a discerning people. I think of the, the, the Bereans, you know, in Acts chapter 17 11, we're told that they, they cross-checked the teachings they, they heard from Paul and, and they, they read the scriptures daily. In fact, Acts chapter 17 verse 11, it says, These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Oh, we need to be Bereans, especially in this day and age. I mean, some Christians are just so gullible. Like, oh, look at this guy, you know, he seems to be so right on, you know, this man of God, surely he's speaking the words of God. And there's many people that, that fall into to false teaching and, and, and false doctrine. Listen, it shouldn't take us long to shed our gullibility, uh, stop being gullible. But I think that the, the, the big reason Christians are, are duped so often is, is like, they like what the false teacher has to say. They like what they're hearing. You know, it's, it's, it's getting teachers, you know, because we have itching ears and they cater to our flesh. We want to believe it's true rather than searching out scriptures for ourselves. I mean, who doesn't want, if I give $10 to the church and expect to get $100 back, man, who doesn't want that? Yeah, let's do that, you know, and then they, they, they throw these things out there. Listen, we need to be, receive the word with readiness, search the scriptures daily, and not assume that, that, that what we're, you know, taught is true. Search for yourselves. But this was happening in Jeremiah's day. God's people believed the lies of the priests and the prophets and refused to acknowledge the coming judgment. So look at verse 13. I will surely consume them, says the Lord. No grapes shall be on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. Now that is just awful. Figs, I mean, I love figs. No figs on a fig tree. Nothing worse than that. And the leaves shall fade, and the things I have given them shall pass away from them. Why do we sit still? Assemble yourselves and let us enter the fortified cities and let us be silent there. For the Lord our God has put us to silence and given us water of gall to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. We looked for peace, but no good came. And for a time of health, and there was trouble. The snorting of his horses was heard from Dan. The whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of his strong ones. For they've come and devoured the land and all that is in it, the city and those who dwell in it. For behold, I will send serpents among you vipers which cannot be charmed, and they shall bite you, says the Lord. Verse 14 says the Jews were sitting still. I mean, they were still thinking that nothing would happen to them since they were in Jerusalem and had the law and had the temple. God, however, would not sit still. And he would discipline them. And he would bring in the armies of, of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon to destroy the city and the temple and carry, the, carry them away captive. Because when a, when a believer continues to live in sin and refuses to deal with their backsliding, there's going to be a lack of peace and health in their relationships. 
I mean, think about it. You, you know, maybe you, you come around someone that you, you know you haven't seen in church a while. You know they're, they're backsliding. It's just an awkward thing to come around them. And if you say something to, to them about it, man, they, 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 you know, they sense it, you know, they, they, they blame you. Oh, you're just being so judgmental. And it's a sad thing because, you know, you love them and you want what's best for them and what God's best for them. That there's a problem they need to acknowledge. That they're not walking with the Lord where they should be. And they refuse to listen. Now, we have to make sure that we're not in that same place, you know, uh, as we looked at already. Am I comfortable being backslidden in a behavior that I once acknowledged as sin, but not, now I'm, I'm acting illogically over something like that? We don't want to be self-deceived. We need to repent when God calls us to repent. Verse 18. He says, I would comfort myself in sorrow. My heart is faint in me. Listen, the voice, the cry of the daughter of my people from a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images, with foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. I think that is one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible. Israel had two harvests. The wheat or the grains are harvested in the spring and the fruits are gathered in the fall. Grapes are harvested in, in uh, September, but if you wait until November, you lose the crop. The, the grapes wither on the vine. The grower has no door of opportunity. But if he misses it, uh, I mean, they just have a small door of opportunity. But if he misses it, there's no going back. There's no second chances. And that's what this verse is saying. You know, the, the, the same is true with salvation today. There's a season that God's, God has, a plan for people to be saved. Well, but when that season has passed, the opportunity is gone. There's no going back. There's no second chances. Once you pass from this life, that's it. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6.2, Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Today, God is holding out hope. Come to Jesus and, and, and all is forgiven, all is forgotten. But if you wait too long and pass from this time to eternity, it's too late. You know, I think the worst aspect of hell is the hopelessness. Never mind the, the fire and the brimstone and all that. The greatest torture is knowing that there's no possibility for a change of the condition you're in. I think about those folks that, that, that are outside the ark when it started to rain, beating on the door, open up, open up, but the door doesn't open. Their opportunity was over. Harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. How does the Lord feel about that? Look at verse 21. For the hurt of the daughter of my people, I am hurt. I am mourning. Astonishment has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? See, Jeremiah agrees. He can't believe what is happening. It's so unnecessary. When he says there's no bomb in Gilead, Gilead is east of the Jordan and north of Moab. It was the home of the, the, the storax tree from which this rosin was extracted, that the gum of the tree had this healing properties, that there was a lot of it there. So the expression of the, the, there's not bomb in Gilead, it's, it's like saying, is there no oil in Texas? Or, you know, is there no humidity in Missouri? You know, I mean, it's just a lot of that. Of course there's bomb in Gilead and there's a cure for you to sin. God is a physician. He's willing to save. He's willing to heal and help if his people would just call on his name. God does not, you know, get pleasure in bringing judgment. In fact, uh, Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, the Lord says, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? God doesn't take pleasure. He's not up there going, oh yeah, I can't wait to get these guys. Breaks his heart. 
But as we read here, the door of opportunity will close one day. But for the moment, God is eager to save. Now, as we come to chapter 9, Jeremiah can't contain his grief any longer. Look at verse 1. He says, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for travelers, that I might leave my people and go from them, for they are all adulterers and assembly of treacherous men. Jeremiah had exhausted his own tears crying over the people. He wanted God to open up a fountain so we can have more tears, so we can keep on crying. He can go on weeping for, for, for the loss of these dead perishing sinners. No wonder he's called the, the weeping prophet. See, rather than bury his head in the sand, Jeremiah opened his eyes and, and his heart and he saw the people as God sees people. You know, it, it's, it's costly to look at people the way God looks at people. You know, if you ask the Lord, oh Lord, help me see these people the way you see these people, man, it'll break your heart. Because you'll look at people as we looked at it Sunday, as sheep without a shepherd. Jeremiah cared so much for these people that his heart was broken. And in verse 3, the Lord says, Unlike their bow, they have bent their tongues for lies. They're not valiant for the truth on the earth. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they do, they do not know me, says the Lord. To be valiant for the truth on earth is to agree with God's word, His truth, as you walk with Him on the earth. You agree with what His word says, you obey it. And you agree with it when you disobey Him by confessing and, and repenting. It, it used to be when a believer sinned. They would just confess it. Oh, I blow I confess it. That is, they would agree with God about it. They would repent from it. They'd get back on track and walk with the Lord. They're valiant for the truth on the earth. But more and more today, what we're seeing is professing Christians fall into sin and then continue on in that sin at some level. Maybe justifying it. Maybe, well, God doesn't look at it as bad as I thought it was. Maybe, you know, oh, I, I have grace. Reminds me of a, you know, of a husband that has a problem with pornography. And he admits it, but he refuses to give his wife access to his online activities. To his phone. He's not being valiant for the truth. Ten times out of ten, he's deceiving himself and lying to her and lying to everyone else as a result. That's where we read, look at verse 4. Everyone take heed to his neighbor and do not trust any brother, for every brother will utterly supplant and every neighbor will walk with slanderers. Everyone will deceive his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves to commit iniquity. Your dwelling place is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me, says the Lord. It's got to be a, just a, a lion stinking mess with all these people. There's no integrity. You can't trust anyone. You can't believe anyone what they're saying. I think even today, integrity has become a rarity that is being true to one's word. Dishonesty is now the new norm. Jeremiah's day, no one could be trusted any longer. You know, it used to be years ago that, that you know, in America, you know, a man's word was his bond. There's just this, you know, there's this, you know, unwritten code of ethics among people. Folks trusted each other. You can do business with just a handshake. Ah, oh, let's do it, but not today. You know, sign this form and this form and this form. And I don't trust you, man. You better sign this and all that. Got to have a lawyer you know, who can spin it just in case you have to go to court. No integrity. See, see a lot of similarity between what's going on with Jeremiah's day and what's going on in our country. Verse 7. Therefore, thus said the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will refine them and try them. For how shall I deal with the daughter of my people? Their tongue is an arrow shot out. It speaks deceit. One speaks peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in his heart he lies in wait. 
Oh, how are you? I love you, man. I'm going to get that guy. Verse 9. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? Again, you know, people, they look for opportunities today, I think, to take others to court. Oh, I'll make some money. I'm going to sue those guys. And, And I think I read that America has more lawyers per capita than any other country. Just shows our, our lack of, of ethics and integrity. Here the Lord says in verse 9, Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? Look at verse 10. I will take up a weeping and a wailing for the mountains and for the dwelling places of the wilderness a lamentation, because they are burned up so that no one can pass through. Nor can men hear the voice of the cattle. Both the birds of the heavens and the birds have fled. They are gone. I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a den of jackals, I will make the cities of Judah desolate without an inhabitant. Now, God says that settles that. God will not spare his city or his temple. The sin and the rebellion and the disobedience of his people would make their land in Jerusalem a wilderness. Verse 12. Who is the wise man who may understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken that he may declare it? Why does the land perish and burn up like a wilderness so that no one can pass through? And the Lord said, because they have forsaken my law, which I have set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it. But they have walked according to their dictates of their own hearts, and after the bells which their father taught them. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, this people, with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink. I will scatter them also among the Gentiles, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them until I have consumed them. So God here pronounces his judgment. And the reasons for his judgment, verse 13, they have forsaken his law which he has set before them. They have not obeyed his voice, neither walked according to his commandments. You know, it's God's rules. He made the earth, he created us, and he gave us the rules to live by. It's not a democracy, you know, there's not a poll taken as to what rules we should live by and which ones we don't have to live by. It's not what you think that matters. It's what God thinks that counts. And, and, and you know, we're a nation. We like to take polls. Well, this poll said, and this poll that, and says this. And, and, and it seems that we have this notion that whatever this poll says must be true. You know, when the, some you know, infamous criminal is, is, you know, about to be tried, a poll is taken to see whether people think that he's guilty or not. But in reality, his guilt doesn't depend on what the poll says. His guilt depends on whether or not he committed the crime. See, who God is and what He's going to require of you is not determined by a poll. It's determined by Him. And I think we seem to think when, when it comes to understanding God that we, we, our, our puny little humans have the ability to tell God what, what He ought to be, be like. You know, you hear people say, well, how can a God of love send someone to hell? Therefore, I can't believe there's such thing as hell and God doesn't send people there. Well, God isn't going to judge the earth by taking a poll first. Well, if everybody says that, then I guess there's not going to be a hell. It doesn't work that way. He's a creator. He made us. He makes up the rules, not us. And you can either play by God's rules or you're going to lose. Nothing else. So verse 17. Thus the Lord of hosts, consider and call for the mourning women that they may come and send for skillful wailing women that they may come. Let them make haste and take up a wailing force, that our eyes may run with tears and our eyelids gush with water. For a voice of wailing is heard from Zion, how we are plundered. We are greatly ashamed because we have forsaken the land, because we have been cast out of our dwellings. 
Remember we talked about this, I think, a couple Sundays back where they were hire professional mourners to come, you know, if someone had died. And depending how much money you had, depends how many mourners you get. You know, just go online and mournersareus.com and, and you can bring as many of the people as you want out. And if you call Jesus throughout the mourners, remember the little girl, you know, she's not dead, get these mourners out of here, kick them out. Well, here in this case, he's saying, bring them in. Bring him in, man. It, it's bad. Things are bad. Bring him in. You know, it's going to happen. Judgment is going to come. Yet the Lord says in verse 20, Yet hear the word of the Lord, O woman, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth. Teach your daughter's wailing, and maybe one her neighbor lamentation. For death has come through her windows, has entered her palaces, to kill off the children no longer to be outside, and the young men no longer on the streets. What a horrible picture this is. Like, like a burglar that breaks into, into your house. Death creeps in the windows. The playgrounds will be empty of kids. You'll no longer see t- teenagers hanging out in the streets. They'll both die in war because they refuse to turn from their sin and repent. So verse 22, Speak, thus says the Lord, Even the carcasses of men shall fall as refuse on the open field, like cuttings after the harvester, and no one shall gather them. Again, a terrible thing to hear. I mean, they held in high respect and honor when a loved one died, making sure they had the proper burial. But again, as they turned away from the Lord and longed to be like the other nations, the Lord gives them what they want. Now, as we come to verse 23, this is one of those verses, clouds are parting, the sun starts shining through, and you go, oh yeah, this is a good verse. Look at verse 23. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. Ah. Oh. It's like, whew, okay. Judgment, judgment, judgment. Well, glory, look at this. The Lord, his loving kindness. Wonderful verses of scripture. They can stand alone all by themselves. They're often quoted. I mean, think about how wonderful it is that you and I know the Lord, that we have a relationship with the Lord, that we know that we've experienced His loving kindness, His righteousness. We've experienced His love and grace in our lives. It's wonderful. But we need to remember these words were spoken to people who had rejected the Word of God. Think about things that, that, that people you know, glory in, that, that men boast in today. Men boast in his wisdom, and they boast in their might, and their, but men boast in, in his riches. I read a story about a group of chess enthusiasts that had checked into a hotel, and they were standing in the lobby discussing the recent tournament victories. After about an hour, the manager came out of the office and asked them to disperse. But why? They asked as they moved off. Because, he said, I can't stand chestnuts boasting in an open foyer. They were boasting, it's a joke, and, and, and boasting in what they were doing, and, and it's Christmas time, and so I tied it all in. You know, we boast in a lot of things today, don't we? Human wisdom, riches, and power. I think we need to be reminded that our strength is certainly not in Washington, D.C., it's, it's not in Wall Street, it's not in the stock market, it's not in our economy. Our strength isn't in the cleverness of politicians. Our strength is not found in the fact that we have nuclear weapons, uh, you know, we have this, this powerful, you know, United States military. Any strength that we have, we must realize 
That's in the, it's in the Lord. The only thing we have to boast in is to boast in the Lord and the power of His might. I love Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2. It says, I will lift my eyes to the mountains from where shall my help come. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Everything we have, our help, everything comes from the Lord. And those who refuse to realize this, those who refuse to recognize Jesus Christ is Lord, there's judgment. And that's what the Lord is telling Judah here. Look at verse 25 now. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised with the uncircumcised. Egypt, Judah, Edom, the people of Ammon, Moab, and all who are in the farthest corners who dwell in the wilderness. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. See, the Jews, they were proud of their circumcision. They trusted in this one-time operation as a get-out-of-judgment-free card. Yet God promises here that they're going to be judged just like the Gentiles are going to be judged according to their hearts. Now look at chapter 10, verse 1. Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, Do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed dismayed at them. Now, some signs are okay. We, we need signs. Traffic signs, speed limit signs, you know, bathroom signs. I read of a few signs that some businesses have hung up in their offices, and it goes like this. In a vet's office, all unattended children given free kittens. How about this? A plumber. We repair what your husband fixed. At a tire shop in Milwaukee. Invite us to your next blowout. How about the door of the plastic surgeon's office? Hello, can we pick your nose? At a towing company. We don't charge an arm and a leg. We want toes. Get it? Towing company. On a maternity room door. Push, push, push. That'd be funny in a hospital, wouldn't it? On a billboard on the side of the road, keep your eyes on the road and stop reading these signs. Jeremiah here is talking about other kinds of signs. Let me read verse 2 in the New Living Translation. This is what the Lord says. Do not act like the other nations who try to read their future in the stars. Do not be afraid of their predictions, even though other nations are terrified by them. Don't, don't, don't get into astrology. Don't get into the, the zodiac. What's your sign? I don't know what's your sign. Well, my sign says this is going to be what it's going to be like next week. You stay away from that stuff. Verse 3. For the customs of the people are futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. And they think, oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, how lovely are thy branches. No, it doesn't say that. Just kidding. Now, let me say this. If you ta- recall, we are we're talking about the practices of the heathen nations and how the Jews are turning to the pagan practices. And yes, we have studied already, they, they were into cutting down trees and forming them in the shape of, of an idol and worshiping the idol. And here the Lord is, is talking against idol worship. So then, I mean, it sounds like a Christmas tree. What I'm reading is, should you have a Christmas tree in your home? Well, if you do bring a Christmas tree in your home, and you decorate it all up, and you begin to worship it as God, and you sing praises to it, number one, you've lost it, okay? Number two, you're sinning. Number three, what's wrong with you, okay? (laughs) You know, come on, it's become your idol. Get rid of it. Otherwise, enjoy it. Listen, an idol is anything that takes the place of the Lord in your, in your heart. Now, with that said, there are some who believe 
these verses is a reference to the ancient custom of, of taking the fir trees and decorating them with gold and silver streamers uh, on the 25th of December and worshiping the god uh, Tammuz, the Babylonian god whose birthday was worshipped on the 25th of December at the winter solstice. And some believe that this refers to the ancient custom that predates Christ by a couple thousand years. Taking a tree out from the forest, cutting it down, you know, decking it with, with all these, these you know, golden ornaments. Now, it's true that the custom of decorating the you know, fir trees predates Christianity by several thousand years as well. And they were decorating them on the 25th of December in the time of the winter solstice as they worshipped Tammuz, the son of the Queen of Heavens, Semiramis. I'm just saying. Now, if you want to get deeper into this stuff, maybe after Christmas, I would recommend this. You get a book called The Two Babylons by Alexander Hillslop. And he gives you a lot of, uh, you know, thorough historical documentation on the origi- origin of what we call Christmas trees. Of course, he goes into the, the Yuletide log. He goes into the Easter as well. So be prepared with that, you know. Uh, um, might want to do that after Christmas. But, but with that said, I think of the Apostle Paul. You know, he, he told uh, the, the Corinthians that they could eat meat that was sacrificed to idols as long. In doing so, they didn't cause any other believer, you know, to stumble. Meat is meat. God has created. There's nothing evil about it. Just make sure no one equates your eating with idolatry. And I think the principle applies to the Christmas tree. A tree is a tree. God's creation. I doubt anyone who sees me sending up my Christmas tree thinks I'm sacrificing the idols. They assume I'm putting up my Christmas tree. I put ornaments on it that, that remind me of my kids and special memories in my life and, and make it look, you know, lights and make it look cool and, and uh, we got lights on trees here, no, no silver and gold, but just lights on them. They, they look cool, you know. See, it's all about your heart, and God looks at your heart. Well, verse 5 continues to talk about the pagan trees the Jews were turning into idols. They say they are upright like a palm tree, and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. So, again, he's talking about these these idols, these false gods that the people have, have carved out and, and created. And, and, and uh, what, what a vast difference. I mean, there's a God who has made man, and there are men who make their gods. A, a God who carries man, and a God who must be carried by men. And, and, and the prophet finds it rather ridiculous that they have to carry around their own gods. Don't be afraid of the, a God that you have to carry around. they got no power to get going anywhere themselves. And yet they're worshiping this God they have to carry around. i got my God with me. got to carry him around. And then Jeremiah thinks about the Lord. Look at verse 6. Jeremiah breaks out in praise. In fact, you know what? Let's read verse 6 and 7 together. I think it's a, 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 just kind of a fresh sigh of relief here. Look at verse 6. Ready? Inasmuch as there is none like you, O Lord, you are great and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. Amen. Amen. Uh, that's another, another break in the clouds. Another sun shining through after reading of the hardness of the people's hearts over and over again and the worshiping of idols. Jeremiah says, Oh Lord, there is none like you. Hallelujah. Lord, you are so great. Then we get right back to the dumb idols again. Look at verse 8. But they are all together dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden, wooden idol is a worthless, worthless doctrine. Silver is beaten into plates. It is brought from Tarshish and gold from Ufaz. The work of the craftsmen and of the hands of the metalsmith, blue and purple are the clothing. They are all work of skillful men. I mean, it's all the work of man, he says. 
But then he compares it back with the Lord. Verse 10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. And His wrath, the earth will tremble. And the nations will not be able to endure His indignation. There's no comparison. The Lord is the true God. He is the living God. He is the everlasting King. And because of that, nothing can be compared to our God and our King. So the Lord then tells Jeremiah in verse 11, Thus you shall say to them, The gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. Now, this is interesting. This is the only verse, verse 11, uh, in Jeremiah, written in Aramaic. Aramaic uh, was the language of the merchants, the, the, the trade language. It was the language of the people who worshipped these idols. And God spoke this warning to them in their own language, really the language of the Babylonians. And Jeremiah wanted Babylon, as well as the nations, to take, take heed to the judgment and to know about this one true living God. Verse 12, he says, He has made the earth by His power, he has established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. Isn't that beautiful? You know, even today, the wind is, is a mystery. Modern meteorologists have a difficult time understanding the wind currents and how they work. Jeremiah says, God brings it all out of his storehouse, his treasuries. Verse 14. Everyone is dull-hearted without knowledge. Every metalsmith is put to shame by an image, for his molded image is falsehood. There's no breath in them. They are a futile, a work of errors. In the time of their punishment, they shall perish. The portion of Jacob is not like them, for he is the maker of all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. So the Lord says, it's time to move. Look at verse 17. Gather up your wares from the land. Hold on a second. I just fast forwarded my notes. I'll get there. Verse 17. Gather up your wares from the land, O inhabitant of fortress. So he's saying, pack your things, pack your bags, time to get out. Verse 18. For thus says the Lord, behold, I will throw out at this time the inhabitants of the land and will distress them that they may find it so Woe is me for my hurt, my wound is severe, but I say truly this is an infirmity and I must bear it. It seems that, that Jeremiah is speaking of the anguish that people will be feeling when the Babylonians come. Verse 20, my tent is plundered and all my cords are broken. My children have gone from me and they are no more. There is no one to pitch, pitch my tent anymore to set up my curtains. For the shepherds have become dull hearted and have not sought the Lord. Therefore they shall not prosper and all their flocks shall be scattered. Shepherds here, again, speaking of the, the leaders of the nation at that time, just not doing their job. We read that they had become dull-hearted. That word, word dull-hearted means to actually be stupid and unreceptive. Brutish is what the word is in the old King James. These leaders, they wouldn't prosper because they weren't asking God for directions. And this is a warning for those of us that find ourselves in positions of leaderships. We're not supposed to have all the answers. God has all the answers. We seek Him for direction. God says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things that you don't even know. See, it's God who gives direction. and God who gives the vision. Listen to Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. In the New Living Translation, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild, but whoever obeys the law is joyful. 
I certainly don't want to be accused like these, these, these false prophets, these false shepherds of being stupid, unreceptive, brutish, and dull-hearted. I don't always know what best, what's best, but I, but I know my God does. And to be used by Him and being faithful in what He's called me to do, that I must seek His face, search His word, along to do His will. I think of our verse for the year, Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Going back to the Word of God. Finally, Jeremiah says, Again, judgment is coming. Get ready. Look at verse 22. Behold, the noise of the report has come and a great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah desolate, a den of jackals. He's saying, Babylonians are on their way. Verse 23, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. O Lord, correct me, but with justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. Pour out your fury on the Gentiles who do not know you and on the families who do not call on your name. For they have eaten up Jacob, devoured him and consumed him and made his dwelling place desolate. Jeremiah knew that God could bring him to nothing and would be justified in doing so. Here he's he's leaning on God's mercy. I think it's funny how much we are so much like Jeremiah. We want God to be gracious with us and not angry with us, but we want him to be harsh on those around us. Justice for them, mercy for me, you know. Now verse 25 here is often quoted annually by Jews at their Passover Seder. This verse ends what's really come to be known as the, the temple discourses. And these are, are chapters 7 through 10. So we, we finished that. Because within these chapters, Jeremiah pronounced judgment at, at really what would be coming against the religious establishment, the shepherds, the, the priests, and the scribes. Now in turn, what we're going to see next is how they're going to turn against Jeremiah. They're going to be out to get him. You can't keep saying these things about the, the false shepherds and the scribes without someone's going, oh yeah, well, we're, we're going to get you and we're going to see that. And that always happens when a person's heart is not right and, and you tell them judgment is coming and you tell them, man, you better be careful. God's going to judge. And what are they? Oh yeah, well, who are you to tell me? And then they start, man, harassing you. I think in Jesus' words in John 15, 20, and we'll close with this. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And we'll see that next time together as we continue on in, in Jeremiah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time tonight. Lord, the jewels that we find in your word, speaking of how great you are, God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, worthy of all of our praise, Lord, help us as your church to be Bereans, men and women of your word, seeking these things out, Lord, uh, not just, you know, believing everything we hear, Lord, but searching your word to make sure it's true. And Lord, help us to be like Jeremiah, to see people with your heart and through your eyes. Lord, as, as sheep without a shepherd, people who are lost and hurting in need for the gospel. God, you are so good to us to open up our eyes to show us our need, to give us our salvation. Help us, Lord, to be used by you to do the same for those around us. Lord, we know the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few, we're getting ready. There's going to be a point where you say the harvest is done, no more. And so, Lord, we pray that as we long for that day, Lord, because we know we'll be with you, use us in a mighty and a powerful way. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.